Well, happy Mother's Day, moms. We are thankful for you. Uh, I personally am thankful that I wasn't able to eat Twinkies for breakfast, lunch, and dinner as I would have as a child and that I was taught the value of hard work and having to do my chores. I was not thankful for that as a child, but I'm thankful for it now as a grown adult who has responsibilities. Uh, moms, you are so important and we are thankful for you. Um, so thanks for being here. Thanks for sharing your Mother's Day with us. Uh, and we do, as Ashley said at the top of the service, we do acknowledge that there are people who have a rough time with Mother's Day. I know some of you um, have desperately desired to be a mother and haven't, and the Lord hasn't allowed you to do that yet. Some of you struggle with distance from your mom or from your children. Um, I, I know I, I lost my mom this year, and I know some of you have lost your mother, and it makes it very difficult on Mother's Day. I just want you to know that we see you too. And we're thankful for you, and we've been praying for you this week. Um, but we're thankful for moms. We're thankful that you joined us today. Uh, like Justin, I could just sit in that worship for the hour and then go. Like, I wouldn't have to get up here and talk. We could just, just have somebody sing over me. He is for you. He is for you. He is for you. He is for you. That's all I need to hear today. And for some of you, you're going to leave here, and that's what you're going to take with you. And that's awesome. For some of you... I hope that the Lord has something for you in his word today. So we're going to be in the book of Hosea. If you've got your Bible, you might open it up there or if it's on your phone. I, I want to ask you, Hosea is a love story. How many of you just love a good love story? Raise your hand if you love love stories. All right, mostly women. I see that. And maybe a couple guys. Good, that's good. Uh, uh, there are so many great love stories out there from the TV shows we watch to the books we read to the movies we've seen maybe over and over again. What, what's your favorite love story? Go ahead and shout it out. If you've got a favorite love story, what's your favorite? Forrest, Forrest Gump, Princess Bride. Yes, I love that one. What else? The Notebook. Everybody said The Notebook in the first service. In fact, it was like The Notebook. And then what else? Nothing. Silence. Only The Notebook. It's the only good love story. What's that? Your parents. My parents. Yes, that's awesome. I asked somebody the other day, what's your favorite love story? And they said, well, I love you and your wife's love story. And I said, oh, that is so sweet. Yeah, how many of you just aren't picky? If there's a love story on, you'll watch it no matter what. Like, right, yeah, November 1st, you've got a date with your couch. I'm going to watch every Hallmark Christmas movie ever made until New Year's Day, right? Uh, well, maybe it will surprise you, but I'm a big fan of love stories. I like love stories. How many, any guys out there man enough to admit that you like a good love story? Good, thank you for a couple of you. Uh, yeah, I love a good love story. So my favorite is this one, uh, When Harry Met Sally. That's uh. One of my favorite movies. Now, before you say, I know, yes, it's rated R. I watched it before I was a pastor, okay? And so I, I love Billy Crystal. He's hilarious. Meg Ryan is awesome in this movie. And I love, I always cry at the end on New Year's Eve when Harry runs in and he gives this famous speech and uh, Meg Ryan just looks at him and said, see, that is just like you, Harry. You say things like that and it makes, me, makes it impossible for me to hate you. And I hate you, Harry. I really hate you. And I just, oh, it's so good. How did she say that? It's so good. I love that. What is it that makes a great love story? Well, I think so many times it's, it's two people who have to overcome a significant challenge or great odds, right? It's a, a man and a woman. Usually there's some separation between them that makes the heart grow fonder. But I think some of the greatest, most interesting, most gut-wrenching love stories have an element of unrequited love. Right? There's this, uh, this time in the story where one loves the other and the other doesn't reciprocate that love or doesn't love them back. That's why every Hallmark story, every Hallmark Christmas movie has to start with someone who's already in love, right? 
I mean, think about this because when she leaves her busy executive job to move to the country to start that bakery or to restore that 200-year-old inn, she can't immediately fall in love with the hunky handyman because she's got to think about her jerk fiancé back in the city, right? She's already in love. She can't reciprocate that love. It makes a great love story. Well, today, we're going to make our way through one of the great stories of unrequited love in the Bible. It's the book of Hosea. It's in the Old Testament. It's near the end of the Old Testament, if you've got your Bible open there. It's a powerful love story between a man and a woman, and there's scandal, and there's the ability to rise above all odds. But Hosea isn't just a love story between a man and a woman. It's an allegory about our relationship with God. It's a painful story as it gives us a picture of how God feels about our sin and rebellion and how devastating it is when we turn our hearts away from him and turn our backs on him. But it's a beautiful love story at the same time as we begin to realize that no matter what you do, no matter how you fail, it doesn't matter how badly you mess up, God will not leave you in the end. And so when you leave here today, what I don't want you to do is think, I can't believe they preached about a prostitute on Mother's Day. What I want you to think is I cannot believe the depth of God's love for me, all right? So we're in this year-long series we're calling Planted. What we're doing is we're reading through the Bible together. We're doing it chronologically, kind of beginning to end, but chronologically. And if you haven't been here, we're using an app called Read Scripture. It's a great app. It's got the reading plan on it. It also has some videos on it that do a good job of putting Scripture in context. If you don't want to do that, the uh, reading plan is on our website at genesischurch.me. It's also on the Genesis Church app. And if you haven't been reading with us, I just want to encourage you to pick up today. Today's day 129. Uh, don't try to catch up. We're in this section that are kind of called the minor prophets. Uh, books like Hosea and Joel and Amos and Obadiah and others like that. And they're minor prophets, not because they're not important. Don't get that wrong. They're minor prophets because they're short books. There are other books like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel that are much longer, but they're not any more important than the minor prophets. And so we're going to start in Hosea uh, chapter 1, verse 1, if you've got your Bibles open there. It starts with this. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, son of Beeri, during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and during the reign of Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of Israel. So this is the word that came to Hosea. And the references to these kings, guys like uh, Uzziah and Jotham and Hezekiah, shows that it, was, it happened around 750 to 700 BC. Uh, that's the time frame that uh, Hosea lived. And so if you've been reading and planted, what you need to know is this happened during about 2 Kings 14 through 17. That's the area of scripture that we've been in. And so the reason that we skipped over some of those books in the middle back to Hosea is because it's, they were contemporaries with these kings. And so we're trying to do this in chronological order. Now, again, Hosea was called by God to be a prophet. We talked about the hard job of prophets a couple of weeks ago when we talked about Isaiah. Every prophet pretty much that we see in the Old Testament had a really tough assignment. But I think Hosea's may have been the toughest, uh, maybe the toughest ministry assignment of all time. Here was what we see God tells him to do in Hosea 1-2. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. I gotta tell you, I hear from people all the time that said, I just wanna hear God's voice. I just want God to speak to me. I just wish that God would tell me what to do. Well, what would you do if that's you and you're in this situation and God says, okay, you wanna know what to do? I'll tell you what to do. Go marry a prostitute. That's basically what God is saying here. That's what promiscuous means here. Call it what you want. 
But he's saying, I literally want you, Hosea, this man, to go marry a woman who trades sex for money. Now, as a pastor, I've got opportunities to advise young people all the time uh, who are getting ready to get married. And I can tell you, I don't think they would like it if I gave them this advice, right? I know you love her. I know she's a nice girl. She was active in her student ministry. She played two sports in college. She led a Bible study in her sorority. She's your sister's best friend, but you shouldn't marry her, right? Instead, what I want you to do is leave her and go find a sex worker and marry her instead. Now, I would probably be kicked out of my position as pastor if I gave that kind of advice. So why would, and that's not the kind of advice you expect from a man of God, right? That's the kind of advice you expect from your friend in eighth grade. Uh, but no, why would God ask Hosea to do this? Well, one thing to keep in mind, uh, the Bible starts with a wedding, Genesis chapter two. We see the first wedding between Adam and Eve. God puts them together. They are joined together as one flesh. We see the Bible ends with a wedding in Revelation 19, the wedding feast of the lamb happens there. But this is the first time in scripture where we see a marriage compared to our relationship with God. So if you've been reading along, this is the first time you'll see that. And God is saying, I want you to demonstrate to my people what it looks like when they turn their back on me. Call it spiritual prostitution. That's what it is when we turn our mind, our attention, our affection to things other than God. In this case, God has been speaking to Israel. He's been warning them that their land is about to be taken over by their enemies and uh, trying to give them alternatives and saying, this is the cause. Hey, when you see this happens, this is the cause. And they've just not been listening. Now, if you have a child in your house that has AirPods, you know exactly what this is like, right? Have any of you ever had maybe a teen walking around your kitchen, walking around downstairs, and you're having this great conversation with them and you think you're really getting through to them. They're walking around and you're talking to them. You're saying all these great things and you're thinking, I've never given advice like this before. I hope she's really taking it in. I hope she's really, really soaking it up, right? And then she turns around and goes, were you talking to me? I'm sorry, did you say something to me? You know, that's what's happening in Israel. They're not listening. They're not hearing. Or maybe... Maybe you don't get that. Maybe, this, maybe your kid's more like this. Has your kid ever send you a TikTok video or an Instagram reel and said, I thought this was really good advice. And you think as a parent, I've been telling you that for 11 years now, but fine, listen to some stranger on the internet instead. As long as you're doing the right thing, the stranger on your phone knows more than mom and dad anyway, right? Well, that's the nation of Israel's problem. They're not listening. The people that Hosea are call, is called to prophesy to aren't listening to God. Instead, they were always going to other places, to other people to find advice or to get help. They did this with foreign nations. We see it so many times in the Old Testament that Israel is turning to Egypt or turning to Assyria for help and influence. We see them turning to pagan gods like Baal. And maybe we wouldn't have noticed. Like maybe if it was us, we don't notice when something like that happens. We don't think it's that big of a deal. But to God, it's a big deal. It's the first commandment. You should have no other gods before me. And, and it, it reject, that kind of rejection uh, grieves God. It grieves him when we go looking to something else to replace the trust he wants us to have in him. So don't settle for cheap substitutes. <laughs> my, my wife and I are Aldi people. We love shopping at Aldi. Any Aldi fans in the room, right? Aldi, uh, we love Aldi, but 
Aldi doesn't always have the name brands. If you don't go to Aldi, you don't know this, but Aldi doesn't always have name brands. So my kids will say something like, hey mom, could you get Oreos at the store? And she'll say, how about Benton's original chocolate sandwich cookies instead, right? Or, hey mom, can you get some Lucky Charms? Well, no, but I found these marshmallows and stars, right? Uh, you don't always get the top premium brands at Aldi, but I can't just pick on Aldi because a lot of places do this. I mean, just think about it. When, how, how many times are you just starving to death? You really want a snack and you think, man, wouldn't a big tall can of prongles sound good right now? I just love those salt and potato prongles are my favorite. Uh, when it comes to God, don't accept cheap substitutes, all right? Don't accept cheap substitutes. Think about it. Where do you turn when you're worried? Where do you turn when you get bored or frustrated? Where do you go when your needs aren't being met? There are so many th examples of things that we allow to take the place of God in our lives. I mean, money is a great example. Money is necessary. It's a helpful resource. It's a horrible substitute for God, right? I mean, we get worried, we get greedy, we want more and more of it. There's never enough. You know, we worry about it. And when we worry about it, we cling to it really tightly. Uh, we're not willing to let it go. Well, here's something else. Uh, our desire for love and affection and for relationships can sometimes take the place of God. I know so many people who unfortunately go through a divorce or their relationship breaks up and instead of kind of sitting back and thinking, trying to analyze it, thinking, why did that go wrong? How can I be better next time? What is it that God wants me to learn through this? Maybe I need to sit in this for a while and hear what God has to say. Instead, they just rush right back into relationship. They just don't know how to be alone. And so they, they head first right back into it. And then a year later, two years later, we're back sitting in the same seat, hearing the same story and going, yeah, do you see? This is a pattern, right? You keep rushing back into these relationships. Now, re relationships are, are good. They're fine. Relationships are important. We're supposed to be in relationships. But when we compromise our convictions, when we sin and go looking for intimacy and people and places uh, that are against what God wants for us, I mean, you can see how relationships can take God's place in your life. And it's true for so many things. It's true for things like alcohol and food and shopping and pornography. I mean, where do you turn when you get stressed? What's your reaction when you get bored or when you're anxious or when you don't know what to do? And like the people of Israel, we are so quick to turn to things to make us happy. And friends, things will never make us happy. They were not meant to. They're not designed to. Uh, don't expect them to do what only God was ever intended to do for us. He wants to be your joy. He wants to be your helper. He wants to be your source of strength and your greatest love. And it grieves him when we turn to other things uh, to try to make us happy. I mean, Israel was guilty of turning to cheap substitutes, to other lovers, and it was ruining them. It was harming their relationship with God. And so God is going to use Hosea and this marriage to illustrate for everyone what is really happening. Verse three says this. So he, Hosea, married Gomer, daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Now, I can just hear Kevin from the office saying, oh, I thought Gomer was a boy's name. Uh, Gomer is the female in here. She is the, the wife. And uh, he's going to marry her. Jose is going to marry her. And the implication is that he genuinely loves this woman. He's going to marry her and have children with her. And uh, he's going to start a family with her. Unfortunately, not long after marrying her, Gomer grows dissatisfied. And she begins turning to her own old ways. In Hosea 2.5, we see this. There's this uh, poem 
in the scripture about Gomer. And it says, their mother has been unfaithful and has conceived them in disgrace. She said, I will go after my lovers who give me my food and my water, my wool and my linen, my olive oil and my drink. And so she goes back and she brings shame upon herself. She, uh, she goes back into this lifestyle of prostitution at first and then she becomes adulterous and it's shameful for her, but it's humiliating for Hosea too. I mean, it's controversial enough probably that he married this woman that had a reputation. And so when she kind of slinks back into her, own way, her old ways, you know that the people around Hosea are saying, I mean, what did you expect? This is her reputation. This is her character. So you continue reading in this story. Gomer leaves Hosea, uh, goes back to her old ways to being a prostitute, and then leaves for another man who will pay for her pleasure. And to make matters worse, this other guy will abuse her. And over time, he'll abuse her and then he'll get tired of her. And in this culture, women had very few rights and prostitute would have had none. And so he decides, he gets tired of her and the new husband decides to take her and sell her at a slave auction. He's gonna see who will be the highest bidder and who will pay for this woman. And when you know it, God appears to Hosea once again and he's got another assignment for him. He said this, the Lord said to me, go show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and as an adulteress. And so, we see here while this story at its heart is about God's love for us, the thing we have to keep in mind is that Hosea was a real man with a real life and a real reputation. He was a prophet. He was a man of God. And so put yourself in Hosea's shoes and consider this. How much would you have to love Gomer? Not just to forgive her and take her back, but to go buy her back if needed. Even after she humiliated you, even after she embarrassed you and willingly walked out on you. And think about this. Where does Hosea have to go looking to find her? It's not that she's sneaking around in the dead of night. She's at this man's house. She's in these sleazy places. And to find her, Hosea has to go to those places. And you know that he's sitting outside the man's house and people are walking by and seeing him waiting for his wife. And they're saying things like, Hosea, how can a man of God love an adulterous woman like this? And Hosea's probably turning and responding, you know, how can a loving God, how can a good God love an adulterous nation like we are? Verse 3-1 continues, God says, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods. And so this is what Hosea does. He goes back to the, goes to the auction uh, scholars say that Gomer would have been stripped naked and marched out in front of the other men so that they could see what they were bidding on. But Hosea doesn't just want to buy her and use her as a slave. He wants to love her and protect her and bring her back home again. And so you know what he does? He bought her. He paid, he willingly paid for what he already owed. Hosea willingly paid to buy back what he already owned. Are you starting to see the analogy in this story here? Hosea and Gomer's story has so much to teach us about the love of God. It's so much to teach us about the love that was manifest in the New Testament through Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. I wanna show you three things that I learned this week about God's love as shown through the story of Hosea and Gomer. Number one is this, his love is scandalous. <laughs> I mean, understand, Hosea had every right to let Gomer go and not take her back. She made her choices and she has to live with the consequences of her choices. Isn't that what you would tell your kids if you're a parent? Kids, isn't that what you hear from your parents sometimes? 
right? I have a teacher once that told me, you know, we only have to do two things in life. Have you heard this? You only have to do two things in life. You have to make choices and you have to live with the consequences of those choices. I mean, that could have been Gomer's life. God's judgment works like that. You've got freedom. You get to choose. You make your own decisions. And sometimes those decisions work out great. And hopefully you have a great long marriage and you love your career and you love that house in the neighborhood that you bought. And sometimes our decisions, don't they just land us in situations that are a little too hot to handle? And we wish we'd never made that choice. You've got to live with the consequences of your choices. And sometimes, sometimes we have to live in the consequences of choices that other people make, right? We have to live with consequences of choices that somebody we love made or somebody we used to love made, and that's hard to, but here's the thing about God. No matter how foolish you've been, no matter how bad of choices you've made, no matter how selfish or rebellious, no matter how scandalous your life has been, his love is greater. His love is greater and more scandalous than any love that you will ever know. Hey, do you think Hosea didn't know that Gomer would cheat on him after they got married? I think he knew. I mean, he kind of knew what he was getting into. He knew who he was marrying. And so Hosea had the right to divorce her, to have her killed for her actions, but his love for her wouldn't permit it. His love drove him back to her, to buy her back. And that's exactly how God's love works too. Not only did Hosea take Gomer back, but he pursued her, even in her rebellion. Like, you might even say that while she was still sinning, he went and paid for her. God does the same thing for us. So yes, in case you were wondering, we are Gomer in this story. You know, we are the ones who turned our back on God and we are the ones who are being pursued by him. Hey, do you think God knew that you would still sin even after you gave your life to him? I think he knew. I think he knew, but he still forgave you for that. I mean, if you're a follower of Jesus, he has forgiven every sin in your life. Everything you've ever done and everything you will ever do is forgiven. That's scandalous, right? This may be the most remarkable verse in all of Hosea. It's Hosea 11:8. God is speaking to Israel and he says, how can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over Israel? How can I treat you like Adma? How can I make you like Zeboim? My heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. How could he still love his children time and time and time again after we turn away? God says, how could I not love my children? It's a staggering picture of God's love. Our sin and rebellion devastate him and he loves us like crazy. He can't and won't let you down. He, he is never going to give you up. He's never going to let you down. He's never going to run around and desert you. Never going to make you cry. He's never going to say goodbye. Never going to tell a lie and hurt you. Just rickrolled the whole room. Hey, listen. Uh, God created a perfect sinless world and put Adam and Eve in it. And they rebelled and sin entered the world. And then God had every right to wipe them out and just start all over again. Just wash his hands of it all and go on with his own existence. But his love, his scandalous love wouldn't let him do that. He set out to redeem us instead. It was his love that drove him to that. Something else about God's love that we can learn from this story. His love is costly. 
His love is costly. Hosea raced to the auction to go buy back his wife. Verse 2, we see this. So I bought her back for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethic of barley. Now, scholars tell us that 30 shekels was probably the going rate uh, for a slave at this time. And so the fact that Hosea could only come up with 15 and then threw some barley in to try to make it uh, sweeten the deal indicates that he didn't have enough money to buy her back. He, He gave everything he had to purchase back his wife. Buying her back cost him everything. What a picture of what God did for us in Jesus. God's work of redemption cost him greatly. It was a costly love. He was bruised and beaten for us. Like Gomer, he was stripped naked and put on public display for others to see. And we deserve the punishment that Jesus bore for us. God wouldn't allow it. He, he let Jesus pour out his own blood on the cross so that we could be free again. Jesus endured the consequences of my sin and my rebellion. And by doing so, he made a way for me to be right with God. And so I can be healed and forgiven. And the same is true for you too. Jesus did this for you and he did it for me. How should we respond to love like that? Do we continue to walk down our own path and choose our own selfish way? Or do we fall on our knees and praise him for the amazing price, the costly price he paid for us? Here's the third thing we can see about God's love. His love is powerful. His love is scandalous, it's costly, it's powerful. God not only asked Hosea to love Gomer when she was a prostitute, but then she became an adulterer and he said, I want you to keep loving her. And as far as we can tell, uh, we'll read this whole story. Gomer never got the chance to clean up her act before they got married. Like there wasn't some... Uh, probationary period in this wedding. There was no prenup. There was no, if you do this, then I will do that. But if you don't do this, then I won't. There was none of that. God asked Hosea to marry her, warts and all. And so often I hear from people who think that they've got to clean up their act before they come to God. Like, I'm sorry, I'll get my life together and then I'll accept your invitation to church, right? Or I'm gonna just live out my faith for a little while and then I'll decide to get baptized. Good news, that's not the good news of Jesus at all. The good news is that God offers his powerful, life-changing love and forgiveness to us first. And it's because of his love and our willingness to embrace it that we can change, right? That's the way it works. I want to be clear about something in here. Sin does not send people to hell. You know, there's a very widespread idea in society that if I'm just good enough, if I just don't do very many bad things, that the good will outweigh the bad and that I'll end up in heaven. But that's not it. It's not bad things. It's not sin. It's not your, mis- uh, your misbehavior or disobedience that sends you to hell, that determines your eternity. eternity. It's not your history. It's not your past. It's not your addictions. It's not your habits. Your sin won't send you to hell. It's already paid for. But your rejection of God's grace and his free gift of salvation will. I love the story of Jesus and this woman at the well. We see it in John 4 and 5. Jesus encounters this woman, and she doesn't know who he is, but he knows her story, and she's had five husbands, and with each of them came lots of hurt and betrayal and pain, and she had a bad reputation, and she couldn't escape it. I mean, why else would she be out there getting water by herself in the heat of the day? No one wanted to be seen with her, but Jesus would. And the two of them engage in this brief but powerful conversation. And she opens up and Jesus kind of enters into her life and he helps her see that she's been looking for love in the wrong ways and in the wrong places and that she needs to receive the powerful, scandalous love of God that's being offered by Jesus himself. 
And then after she does that, after she accepts that he is who he says he is, then Jesus says, now go and sin no more. As a result of my love and my forgiveness, now you can go and sin no more. See, God's love is powerful. It frees us from our past. It heals our wounded hearts and souls. It offers us the power to change. And like he did with this woman at the well, Jesus offers each of us his forgiveness. His death and resurrection means that he has the power to cancel debt of sin that tries to rule over our lives. But there's something else that God's love gives us too. It's not just his forgiveness but it's his righteousness. So that when we are in Christ, when God looks at us, he doesn't see us or our history or our sin. He looks at us and he sees his son, Jesus, in us. And Jesus in us means that we have the power to change. Jesus in us means that we can become more and more like Christ every day. It means that we don't have to turn to other things to satisfy us. We can find everything we need in Jesus. We are free and we are redeemed but I want to make it clear that God doesn't just want us to experience his love. I mean, Hosea experienced his love. That's where it begins, right? But he wants us to be a carrier of that love too. He wants us to be a giver of that kind of love. We can be the the spreaders of it. He can take the prostitutes and turn us into prophets. I mean, just like Hosea was so marked by God's love that he wanted to visibly show that love to Gomer, You know, we can be spreaders and givers and senders of God's love. And so what that means for us, parents, moms, dads, you can show love to your rebellious child, even if they've hurt you. You know, as a husband, you can extend grace to a wife who's not meeting your needs. As a wife, you can forgive a husband who's let you down again, yet again. As a friend, you can share what a difference that Jesus made in your life and how, it's, how he's changed you and how he's changed your heart. As a church, we might let the powerful work of Christ drive us to be generous, to share our faith, and to make it our goal to share the love of Jesus every day. That's what happened to the woman at the well. Uh, we see her, she runs out and she tells the whole village, hey, come and meet the man who told me everything I've done. And she became one of the greatest evangelists for Jesus in all, of all time. And that's got what, got what God wants to do through each of us. You know, here's what we believe. Here's what I believe. One day, you and I, every one of us in this room, we're going to spend eternity in one of two places, in heaven or hell. You and I will, our neighbor will, our family will, either with God in heaven or separated eternally from him in hell. All of us. And all of us, because of his grace, have the ability, the chance for eternal life in heaven with God. Don't turn away from that grace. If you've been running from it, it's time to stop running. God has not given up on you. He will not give up on you. He is for you. He is the better perfect example of Hosea in this story. You know, he's got his arms wide open again and again and again and again. And when you fall back into sin, he'll still be there. When you're experiencing the pain and heartache that come with stupid, sinful choices, he'll still be there. His love is scandalous. His love is costly. His love is powerful. And he is always faithful. He's everything we need. Let's pray together. Father God, I'm thankful for that truth that you pursue us, that you're on the run after us, and that even when we're running from you, you're right behind us coming after us, Lord. I thank you for that. I thank you for your 
scandalous and costly and powerful love that's demonstrated through Hosea toward Gomer. Lord, we repent. We're sorry for when we turn away from you, when we go other places to try to satisfy our souls. I just confess I know today that that can never satisfy, that you were meant to satisfy, that when we are unfaithful, you are still faithful, and I'm thankful for that. Lord, show us your faithfulness. Demonstrate your faithfulness to us, even today, even as we go from this place, Lord. We love you. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.